smartphone or mobile device, and you can look under live events. Preston Crest is there as we continue our Ask Me Anything series. Um, so I don't know how many of y'all got a sign. It's turned on, right? Yeah. How many of you got a sign that we're giving away that says, He is risen on one side, hello neighbor on the other side? We got more of those. Uh, those are free for you to take, one per family. Uh, and uh, it's cool. I got mine in my front yard, took a picture, put it on Facebook the other day, Mike. My next door neighbor, Sandra, who is, uh, I think she's retired now, children's pastor at Prestonwood. She's got her Prestonwood. He is, it looks a lot like our sign, like 30 feet away from my sign because their townhomes are really quick. And I was thinking, you know, next year, economy of scale, save a few bucks, and we could go in with Prestonwood and it could just say Preston blank, you know, on the, on the sign. <laughs> he is risen, Preston blank, and you can write the name of your church in there. But no, it is a good time uh, to be thinking about our neighbors and maybe invite a neighbor next Sunday for Easter. Um, so many people are willing to get out and go to church on Easter that aren't normally thinking about that because uh, this week the whole world is going to be thinking about Easter. So if you get an opportunity, if the Holy Spirit opens the door this week, uh, take that opportunity, invite someone to join us for worship next week. I, I was walking the dog yesterday and met uh, one of the neighbors. I think it's the second time I met him, but we had a nice little conversation, me and BJ, who knew David Howard. Uh, back when David Howard was with us, they worked uh, on like truck accessories and so he's always got this really awesome uh, pickup truck parked in front of his house we talked about that and had a good conversation but look for some way to touch a neighbor's life this week and if you get a chance invite him to be with us next week all right hear the word of the lord this is from the gospel of john chapter 14 philip said lord talking to jesus lord show us the father and that will be enough for us Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things uh, than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father and you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives in you and will be in you. Wow. We'll get back to that in a minute. So how many of y'all filled out an NCAA tournament bracket this year? Can I see your hands? All right, a lot of us. Um, I'm, not doing, I'm not doing so good, Barbara. I don't know how you're doing. Who'd you pick as the winner? Xavier. Yeah, they're out. I picked Virginia. They're out. In fact, I think like three of our top people, number one, two, three, all picked someone that's no longer in the tournament. So it's going to be interesting. But I was, I was thinking about that and thinking, I am so bad at this bracket thing, but how many of you who filled out a bracket have all of them right so far? 
right? I mean, it's, 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 it's almost impossible, and we're just picking winners of college basketball games. Uh, the good news is you're not alone. Everybody fails at this. Uh, I read online for all the math lovers out there that the chance before the tournament starts of picking a perfect NCAA tournament bracket is one in 9.2 quintillion. I didn't even know quintillion was a thing, but apparently it is. One in 9.2, I imagine that's a whole bunch of zeros, quintillion. So you're saying there's a chance. I mean, you could do it, right? <laughs> and when we get into this, to, to our message this morning and the Ask Me Anything series, we're going to consider the Trinity, a concept that is at the heart of the God that we worship the God that we serve. And just so we start from a place of total honesty, you know, if we can't figure out who's going to win college basketball games, why on earth would we think we can figure out the God of the universe, right? I, mean, I still don't fully understand how the toaster works in my kitchen like I'm going to know the mind of God. I mean, so we need to understand. In fact, this is one of the things that drives us to our knees. This is one of the things that drives us to worship God, how much bigger he is than us. And so when we gather to worship, we have this sense of our smallness, God's bigness, of how far beyond us God is. Look, if you can fit God inside your tiny mind, then I would suggest you're worshiping the wrong God, okay? And so the God we worship is big, he's mysterious, and the doctrine of the Trinity is one of the things about God that has baffled and has mystified worshipers and others for centuries. And Jesus, in that text that we read just a moment ago, point, uh, points to this elegant image of the Trinity, right? He is in the Father, and the Father is in Him. He speaks the words of the Father. The Father does work through Him, and He's going to help us by sending the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit, to live in us, to work in us, to counsel us. Now, full disclosure... The doctrine of the Trinity is controversial. It's not only confusing to some people, it's controversial. Um, for Jews and Muslims, it is a heresy, right? I've got a book in my office on, on a shelf written by an Islamic scholar talking about how we Christians are polytheistic. We worship multiple gods um, because we have the Trinity. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so he wrote this book to try to convert Christians to monotheism. Of course, the Trinity is, is, is difficult. One God, but three persons in the Godhead? Um, I mean, Trinity really is the Christian name for God. We can take that slide off. It really is the Christian name for God. We worship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, now, this doctrine, this idea of God being one made up of three persons, this is not something uh, that centuries ago some Christian made up. This is not something like in the year 462 a council got together and created this, like we're going to have the Trinity. No, this is not something that's been made up. This is something that if you open your Bible, you will see it. And so on your outline, I want you to write this down. The doctrine of the Trinity was uncovered, not 
invented, right? It was discovered. It's there. Like, if, if you take someone who doesn't know anything about God or the Bible, and you put them in a room and say, read this book, and they do that, you should fully expect them to come out of that room and tell you about the Trinity because it's all over the place in the Bible. For example, I mean, this is on your outline this morning. I just put 70 references to either explicit or implicit mentions of the Trinity, and those are just from the New Testament, all right? Those are just to get started. Didn't have room to do the whole Bible. And so what we're asking this morning in this, in this Ask Me Anything series is, Lord, help me understand the Trinity. Help me understand the Trinity. Now, historically, to help explain or to help folks understand the Trinity, there have been a variety of analogies used to try to teach or illustrate. Um, And I'm going to be honest, they, they don't even come close, right? To the complexity, to the beauty of God, they really don't come close. Like there's the one about an egg. Think about an egg. It's one egg, but it's made up of three parts. There's a shell. There's the white of the egg. There's the yolk of the egg. See, the Trinity makes sense. It's just way too simplistic, isn't it? Or there's the one about water, right? Water can take three forms. You know, it can be liquid. It can be frozen and become a solid. It can be boiled and turned into a gas. See, three in this one. It makes sense. Or or St. Patrick famously used the example of a clover with the Irish people to explain the Trinity. He said a clover, one clover, is made up of three leaves. All right. Um, Like I said, there have been a lot of things used to try to explain the Trinity, uh, but nothing really captures it. Nothing really does it justice because it's kind of tricky to take a mystery, a mystery as profound as the creator of the universe, the Almighty, and kind of reduce him to a cheesy analogy or a bumper sticker slogan or something that you could fit on a t-shirt. It just doesn't do the God of the Bible justice. Um, Speaking of the Bible, you might note the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible anywhere. Neither does the word grandfather, neither does the word Bible appear in the Bible, but I suppose you you believe in grandfathers and you believe that the Bible exists. Um, So may the Spirit this morning, may the Spirit sharpen our thinking, may the Spirit uh, shape us into the image of Christ, and may the Spirit put on our hearts why this matters and make this just one more motive for us to worship God. So Trinity, the Christian name for God. I've got three essential points there on your outline this morning. The first one goes like this. God is one God. That's the principle of unity. God is one. Right? There is no division within God. Now, this is a really... um, distinct belief, historically speaking. I mean, talking about it makes us unique. Um, The Greeks, the Romans, other cultures as well, but Greeks and Romans had this pantheon of gods who were very different. They did not get along. They would fight with each other. They would try to trick each other. Mormons believe that God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, those are actually three different gods. But as Christ followers, we reject the idea that there are multiple gods. We gather to worship the one true God of Scripture. 
Now the Shema, if, it, it, it is the very first passage that Jewish children will memorize. The Shema, and the Shema is what Jesus quoted in Mark 12, 29, when Jesus said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. So that is a centerpiece of Christian and Jewish thinking over the centuries. And when we worship, it is not a pantheon, it's not a collection of gods that we worship, but the one true God revealed in the ancient scriptures. However, all right, however, this is the second bullet point there on your outline, this God is three persons. This one God is three persons. This is the principle of equality. The principle of of equality. Um, Far from being a Christian invention, this doctrine, this belief appears pretty clearly in the very first chapter of the Bible, right there in Genesis chapter 1, and it is then repeated dozens and dozens of times throughout the pages of Scripture. So here we go, Genesis 1, verse 26, you'll, you'll probably remember these words, it's God, he's about to make Adam and Eve, and he says, let us make man in our image. Let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make man in our image. Now that phrase that's even more familiar, the first words of the Bible. Remember Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created. Well, John comes along in the New Testament and he places Jesus right there at the very beginning. Jesus is there, John 1, 1 and 2. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. He was with God in the beginning. So Jesus and God, same thing. Jesus was there at the creation of the universe, right? Uh, And then John will tell us that he became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, We know him as Jesus there as he becomes flesh and dwells among us. But we believe that God is one, but within that oneness, we have these three persons. We have Father, we have Son, we have Holy Spirit. And as Christians, we understand that this is a, it's a community, it's a fellowship of three persons. Like, (laughs) this is a little bit cheesy, but it helps to think about this way. Like if God were at a restaurant, when his table was ready, the hostess would say, God party of three, your table is ready. God is a party of three. Uh, And there's equality within the Trinity. There is equality within the Trinity. All three are 100% God. Like Paul in Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 tells us Jesus was God. But he did not view equality with God as something to be held onto. He surrendered that to take the very form of a servant, a humble servant, and live among us. But Jesus has equality with God. So we're talking about equality. This, now, authority is a different issue, right? Jesus will submit. Jesus will surrender. Jesus will take a knee to the authority of the Father. But they are equal. They are God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, here's a helpful way, I think, 
uh, to consider this, and it's one that actually shows up in that text we read in the beginning this morning, that Jesus uh, shared these words about the Trinity. Here goes. Think about it this way. Uh, The Father is God for us. The Son is God with us. The Spirit is God in us. That helps us kind of understand, in our lives at least, how this functions. God for us, God with us, and God in us. Now saying the Trinity, using that word, it doesn't mean that Father, Son, and Spirit are three different names for the same God. It doesn't mean they are three forms of the same God. Uh, Truly, there are three persons in the one God we worship, which leads us to a profound and enormously important ministry, uh, mystery, rather, and that is that God exists in harmony. And the principle here is the principle of community, or you could even put the principle of fellowship. Um, so, I mean, we struggle with this. This is, this is the crux of the problem here. I mean, uh, it's kind of uh, this perfect community that we long for as human beings. When you say, I do, at the altar, and you pledge your life to that other person, you are hoping for this, a perfect unity, commingling of spirits, 100% fellowship, always getting along. But we know as human beings, this kind of unity only happens in flashes. With your spouse, you'll have moments where it's like, and then it kind of evaporates. And you're fighting over who needs to wash the dishes, right? Or something like that. Um, It may happen in a flash with with your best friend of, wow, that was incredible. We were right there together. It may happen in a partnership. But even the most successful partnerships among human beings and even the most loving marriages struggle to maintain this sense of community, uh, this sense of togetherness. Because, newsflash, we... You and I are broken down sinners. We have a lot of issues. God, on the other hand, we talked about this last week, God is perfect. God doesn't struggle with discord or selfishness or ambition or pride. And I love this because we take all the theory and all the theology and the Bible shows us in a real moment in history at a real geographical location what this looks like. And I'm thinking about the baptism of Jesus. Remember, he goes out to the Jordan River and there's John the Baptist. And we have this incredible image. Just think about this, how the Trinity shows up right here in this moment in history. Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 16. When Jesus, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw who? Don't say what, you say who. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him, Jesus and the Spirit. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Don't you love that, that moment? I mean, that's not just theology. That 
that's an event that actually occurred in time. At that moment of the baptism of Jesus, you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on full display. And then the Father just caps it off by saying, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. By the way, let's make this personal this morning. When a person, whenever a person, comes to faith in Jesus Christ, puts their trust in the name of Christ, whenever someone chooses to be baptized, the Trinity shows up. Amen? Check this out. Jesus tells us, right? Great commission. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's read that together, if you would. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when you make that decision to walk up these steps and be baptized, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are right at the middle of that trinity, is center stage in that moment. And so this doctrine, let's talk about why all of this matters, okay? You may be like, ah, that's interesting theology morning at Preston Crest. No, this really, really matters to us. In fact, I would say the doctrine of the trinity is a real separator for the Christian faith, really unique, really special. Why? To put it very simply, as the Apostle John wrote in 1 John 4, 8, why? Because God is love. Say that with me. God is love. The essence of God, the nature of God. You peel back all the layers. Who is God? John says, God is love. Now that can only be true. If you believe the Trinity, that can only be true if you believe the Trinity. You know, for Muslims, God is primarily a judge. For Jews, primarily a lawgiver. For Buddhists, primarily a force at work in the universe. For Christians, God is love. We understand that long, long ago, eons ago, back before the creation, Before there was planet Earth, before there were moons and stars and galaxies in the sky, we understand that if you could get a glimpse just before the Big Bang, or whatever you want to call it, if you could see what what existed, you would see nothing but God. You would see love. That's what you would see. And in order to love, it takes two to tango, right? At a minimum. You have to have someone to love. There must be a lover and there must be a beloved. It's a relational concept. But if God is only one person, then love could not have existed. God could not be love. Before the creation of the universe, God could not have loved. There would have been nothing for God to love. We know, however, that before there was anything, there was love. That's the nature of God because there was Father, Son, and Holy Ghost existing in this perfect fellowship, in this perfect intimate love relationship. Now, I believe, guys, I believe this explains a lot, not just about the nature of God, 
But if we just kind of think about it, it explains a lot about the nature of us, about you and I, about our deepest longings, about what most satisfies us because we were made in the image of this God who is love. John Eldridge and Brent Curtis wrote a book called The Sacred Romance. And I'm just going to read a little clip from this book. They say, Think of your best moments of love or friendship or creative partnership. The best times with family or friends around the dinner table. Your richest conversations. The acts of simple kindness that sometimes seem like the only things that make life worth living. They say, like the shimmer of sunlight on a lake. These are reflections of the love that flows among the Trinity. We long for, they write, we long for intimacy because we are made in the image of perfect intimacy. Isn't that good? So not only is the Trinity the key to understanding the God of the Bible, the key to understanding the God who we worship, but it would seem since we are made in the image of God, we have the imprint of God on our souls, the Trinity helps us understand a little bit about our nature a little bit about ourselves as well. Some people talk about God as, you know, the man upstairs, old man with a long white beard sitting on a throne wearing white robes. Worse, (laughs) some see him as an angry old man. Some understand God as an impersonal force at work in the universe. Others as nature. They're drawn to worship nature. Nature becomes manifestation of the divine. The truth is God the Father loves you very, very much. He knows you. He cares about the details of your life. Remember Jesus said, God the Father knows the number of hairs on your head. I mean, he is intimately acquainted with you in high def, in every detail. He loves you enough that he sent his son, Jesus, the word became flesh, to live among us a perfect and holy life, and subject himself to all of that sin we talked about, to the jealousy, the bitterness, the hatred, the violence. And he suffered a cruel, violent, bloody death on the cross for love. For God so loved the world. For God so loved you. And so Jesus dies and is buried and is resurrected. We'll celebrate that next week at Easter. And and our sins are forgiven. Our iniquity is washed away so that we can be moved back into fellowship with the one who made us. And God didn't leave us alone, did he? The Spirit of God, the person of the Spirit of God inhabits and dwells 
the hearts of believers everywhere and helps us. Helps us with our hope. Helps us with the transformation. Helps us to love more like God loves. And perhaps this morning, right here, right now, there is something going on in your life and you need to come before God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and ask for help. Ask for His assistance. Or maybe this morning it's time for you to cross that line of faith and say yes to God and surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus and invite the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to show up for your baptism. However you need to respond today, do that as we stand together and worship. The Lord bless you and keep you.